This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Hi, welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast. I'm Larry Gifford, a proud member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, founder of pdavengers.com and host of another podcast called When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Today's show is themed From Diagnosis On, My First Days with Parkinson's. Today we're going to hear different experiences from a diverse group of people living with Parkinson's and a care partner about the early days and years after receiving the diagnosis. Hopefully, by the end of this, we'll be able to infuse some hope and positivity, uh, reinforce that there are many often conflicting emotions during this time, which are normal and understandable and common, and many different approaches and paths through this disease. No one has the right answer, except for you, for your journey. We also have a 360 look at this topic in our third Thursday webinar, which took place earlier in September, and it is now available on demand at www.michaeljfox.org slash webinars. We have a great panel for you today that I'm going to introduce now. Barry Gray was diagnosed in 2021 at the age of 66, is a writer, nonfiction TV producer, book editor from Los Angeles, also is a participant in the PPMI study. Hello, Barry. Hi there. Hi, everybody listening. Uh, John Lipp is uh, diagnosed in 2015 at the age of 49, a Parkinson's advocate, writer, and nonprofit executive based in the San Francisco Bay Area. He refers to revealing his PD diagnosis as his second coming out, a not-so-veiled reference to his coming out to his family as a gay person at the age of 16. Hello, John. Hi, Larry. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Tim Hegg Sr. and his wife and a partner in Parkinson's, Cheryl, uh, are also here with us from Winnipeg. Tim was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2011 at the age of 46 as a registered nurse and son of an adopted father with Parkinson's. He has cared for many people with PD. Tim is the founder of U-Turn Parkinson's and co-founder of the PD Avengers. Tim and Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Larry. Good to Hi. be here. Hi, Larry. Good to, good to be with you. All right. Now that we're through that, let's get to the nitty gritty, right? Uh, so we've all heard about the time it can take to diagnose somebody, but let's skip to the day of the diagnosis. Barry, that day when they said, do you have Parkinson's? What was that like? Well, that moment was almost cinematic and it was almost absurd. And uh, it recalled Pride of the Yankees, the 1942 film with, um, it's about Lou Gehrig. And my doctor said the same thing to me. He comes in the uh, the room and he, and he says, well, uh, I think I have some ideas. I said, yeah. And he says to me, I swear he said this, do you want it straight? <laughs> this is right out of Pride of the Yankees. Wow. I said, I said, yeah. And he says, I think it's Parkinson's or Parkinson's-ism. And naturally, I my jaw dropped to the floor and I, I didn't believe it. I thought he was wrong. He was mistaken. Uh, he was in error. 
uh, he was being ridiculous. Uh, that kind of thing never happens to, you know, me. Uh, and I went home and I told my wife and the weird thing about my situation is, is that I had just gotten over a case of cancer. And before that, a few months before that, I, I was diagnosed with a, an autoimmune system uh, problem uh, that was pretty serious. And so this was just like another slap across the face. Uh, and I didn't believe it because it, it just seemed surreal. Wow. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, <laughs> what a string of luck. Uh, John, I'm going to move to you now. Day of diagnosis. What was it like when you heard those words? So for me, it was about a year-long journey, Larry. And when I finally heard those words, uh, and my, my doctor was a lot more direct, he said, you have Parkinson's. And for me, it, it was almost a sense of relief. Like I knew what I had. There was a label. There was a name for it. And in my mind, knowing that, that I could immediately jump into my savior mode and save myself, right? And so I was actually pretty upbeat about it. And then I remember driving home uh, about an hour from San Francisco to the East Bay where I live and thinking about it and going through this whole roller coaster of emotions up and down. And do I want to stop and have a drink and process or I'm going to go straight home. And my husband was home that day. And uh, I said, guess what? I have Parkinson's. And, and he just looked at me and my, my husband's a physician. And he said to me, you don't have Parkinson's. I don't believe it. So I, I immediately crashed in that moment. And it, and it was a long, probably about a month process of up and down and research and going back, taking my husband back with me to my neurologist and, uh, and having him walk him through the diagnosis and how he got there. But uh, ultimately for me, the first month was pretty much strangely a high because I could, I could wrap my arms around the disease. Interesting. Okay, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Uh, Tim, how, what was it like for you? Hey, Larry, thanks. You know, it's kind of a little like John. Um, I have these competing memories about that first day. It was a little over 11 years ago now for me. And I remember feeling like, you know what, I've, I've got this because on the one hand, I was a nurse. I'd been nursing for 18 years at that point. I pretty much had self-diagnosed myself. I knew that my dad had had Parkinson's, like he mentioned, and so I knew what Parkinson's looked like. I had a half-sister with uh, MS, knew what MS looked like, so I figured it was one of those two, and I figured it was most likely Parkinson's. So by the time the actual diagnosis came around, which didn't take long, I saw my first tremor in August of 2010 and was diagnosed in February of 11, so that's pretty quick for, for a lot of people. I was pretty like, okay, this is what it is. But I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm still doing lots of things, so I'm just going to go on with my life. I'm going to ignore this. But then there was this other kind of juxtaposition in my head that was saying, oh, God, this is going to suck. Is my wife going to leave me? Is my kids going to fall apart? Is my life going to fall apart? What's going on? So I had these competing um, emotions and thoughts going on kind of at the same time. And, but uh, we, we hit the ground more or less running and just kind of went with it. Cheryl, um did you know that he was having these tremors before uh, before the diagnosis? Um, he kept it from me for about three months. He didn't want to scare me, and he thought it might go away, and he didn't realize, you know, really know what it was yet. So finally, he, he told me that we, we were on a trip for our 25th anniversary, and he said, uh, you know, I, I've been having these problems, and it seems to be getting worse. Um, and so we thought, okay, we'll go and see your doctor when we get home and he didn't tell me in that meeting with his doctor that his doctor right away said his GP um it's likely young onset Parkinson's he, he didn't 
tell me that yet. Um, he just said that the doctor wanted to send him for a bunch more tests. So at some point he said, well, it could be Parkinson's. Um, and all along I was like, no, they've, they've, that can't be right. They must have, there must be something else. And it's, it'll be something that we can, you know, work on or fix or whatever. Like it's surely not Parkinson's. That seems you're so young. You're like, there's no way. And I didn't really believe it until we sat down with our neurologist and he said, you've got young onset Parkinson's. <laughs> and at that point, um, of course, you're just you're still wanting to deny it. Um, and really, it took me a while to truly accept it because nothing much changed. I mean, Tim was still going to work, our life carried on. Um, so it was a whole process of accepting it, I think. Yeah, let's talk about acceptance because it is... <laughs> It's not a linear line uh, to, mm -mm. from not accepting to accepting. And probably uh, the two of you went back and forth on who accepted it better at a certain time. Yes. <laughs> what was what was that like in the house and, and, and how you you know finally got to the point where you're like, OK, this is you know, there's a third person in our marriage that or third thing in our marriage that we got to deal with. I'm not sure how, how that really went. It's like you say, it's nonlinear. I know we went to, for me at the very beginning, I was like, all right, whatever. I've got Parkinson's. I've got it by the neck and I'm going to hold it down and I'm going to make it do what I want it to do. I'm going to carry on biking. I'm going to carry on running. I'm going to do, do my thing. So I'm just going to be in control of this. Put it on a shelf and ignore it. Well, you know how that goes. Uh, so that didn't go so hot. And I don't know when we really, really came to terms with it. I think it's a slow acceptance because um, it slowly takes your life. And so there's a whole process of, okay, this is what it's going to be now. This is what Parkinson's looks like in our life right now. Um, you know, at the onset, I remember Tim telling me, well, the neurologist thinks I have five, maybe six good years of work left. Well, I thought that's ridiculous. You're completely healthy. Like it'll be a long time before you have to leave your job. But sure enough, um, I think it was four or five years later where he had to leave. He couldn't um, for various reasons, couldn't function as a nurse anymore. So, I mean, it's a slow progression of accepting it because you're faced with reality. And, and as new symptoms, you know, appear, you're reminded again that, oh, yes, we have Parkinson's that we're dealing with. And did you grieve the old life and grieve what you thought was going to be your future? It's more of what um, the old life. And it's a constant grieving because you're constantly losing little pieces of your life. And I think it's it's a healthy thing to grieve. Um, you have to admit and and realize that that's not going to be your life anymore and you can't you can't stay there. You can't mourn forever, but you have to grieve and allow that to sit, you know, to sit with that for a little bit before you can move on and get to that place of acceptance. John, I'm going to move on to you. At what point was it that what, what was the trigger that said, "Okay, this is real, this is staying. I got to deal with this." Yeah, you know, I came out to my friends through a Facebook post uh, probably about a, a month after the diagnosis, and I was very positive, and I signed up to run the marathon for Michael J. Fox Foundation, and I was going to conquer this disease. And I found that that energy I created around me with my friends and my sense of community was really helpful and very healing for me. But then as the months went on and I was training and I was limping a lot and some discomfort and pain and trying to find the right medicines and the, the medications I was on at the time were very unhealthy for me personally. 
I kind of hit a, a low point because I realized I had set the bar so high for myself in terms of being Mr. Positive and I'm going to, you know, solve this disease. Um, and, it, and it's not a disease we can solve, right? It's every day is different. You have good days and bad days, good hours and bad hours. And so it was the realization I kind of put myself out there too high, too far. And then I've had to figure out how to walk that back a little bit, that I'm a human being, I'm allowed to have bad days. And, and I think fortunately having my husband there, he took the brunt of the bad days and the good days. He saw me cry and he was there to hold me up and keep me moving forward. But it's, it's still, I, I gotta be honest, it's what, seven years in my diagnosis. And there are some days where I get really low and depressed and um, I have to force myself to keep moving. I hear you. I hear you. Um, Barry, how about you? What was the point of acceptance for you? I'm not sure that I've reached it yet. Mm. Uh, in all candor, um, I can tell you that I was on board with it. In effect, uh, when I finally had to break down and tell my daughter, who's extremely sensitive and uh, she was in the middle of her college career and I did not want to throw her into the ocean with this. So my wife and I kept it quiet uh, in the family until six months later. And it was just before the holidays last year that uh, Anna and I sat down with Lulu and said, uh, Lulu is home from, from, uh, for winter break. And I said, Lulu, you know Michael J. Fox? She says, yes. I said, you know, he has this really disturbing uh, disorder. And she looks at me, she says, Parkinson's. I said, me too. It's painful to see your own kid trying to grapple with something that she cannot do anything about. Not that I can do much more, but I can do things to, you know, mitigate some of the symptoms and, and the progression, I suppose. But to see her hurting like that was the worst part. That's the, been the worst part for me, uh, is knowing that she's walking around. The other day, you know, I, I had a slip of uh, memory, which is happening a lot more lately. And uh, she remarked to my wife, I'm watching my dad lose his mind. She meant nothing bad by it, but it just stabbed me because I don't want her to hurt. And I know that as time goes on, she's going to be hurting more. Yeah. You know, I have a 13-year-old um, son now, but he was uh, eight when I was diagnosed. And, and he's actually the catalyst for why I ended up going to the doctor because I was collecting symptoms, but ignoring them like a good, you know, person in his 40s uh just it's, it can't be can't be too bad for me i you know, i never went to doctors never took medicine so i just you know just assumed they were it meant nothing and then i started tremoring and he noticed that and i would try to hand him a glass of water and the water would spill out and he, he finally said dad why are you shaking so bad i'm like i don't know he goes well shouldn't you go see a doctor <laughs> and so he was in the loop pretty early on, even probably before I was, uh, that there was something uh, more going on. And so we told him from the beginning, and, and I'm glad we've included him in that. We gave him little jobs. Like if we go out in public, I'd say, okay, now your job is to watch to make sure my hands, to let me know if my hands start to tremor. Now I knew when my hands were going to tremor, but it gave him a job. And I think that was really important for him to always feel like he had something to do uh, to help his dad. And he yeah. still does today. He'll give me a, massage or whatever and, and like he feels like he's helping uh what about for tim and cheryl you you had uh four kids at the time what at what point did you tell them and bring them into the loop well we told them fairly fairly well right away and they all did varying degrees with it i guess they were around 2016 and 12 at the time we have four kids at that two twins at the 12 stage at that time and um 
the oldest one probably took it the hardest, I guess. Uh, he was old enough to go get himself online and start hunting for things and he got himself a little freaked out. And we, we maybe didn't keep quite as close tabs on it as, as we should have early on. And so he probably took it the hardest. The 16 and the 12-year-olds, well, the 16-year-old, she's, you know, into her teens and the world's all about her. And the 12-year-olds, uh, they were a little too young to kind of grasp it yet. So they didn't do too bad with it. They've grown up with it, if you will. But the oldest one took it fairly hard. Cheryl, do you remember their reactions? And is it different? Is your memory the same or different than Tim's? Uh, pretty much the same. Yeah, the the twelve year olds. You know, as long as they just wanted to know basically how it was going to affect their life, and nothing was really going to change, so they were okay with that. I think it has been a progression of, you know, as they've gotten older, because they have spent most all of their teenage life, you know, living with this disease. Um, they have sort of come to understand it and be more aware of how it affects Tim as they've gotten older. You see them grow in the progression like we were talking about ourselves growing in the progression of it. You know, it's, it's not a matter of accepting it all at once, like we've said, and I think for them as well, it's been an ongoing acceptance of this reality for dad because dad's at a certain place one day, you know, dad used to run all the time and suddenly dad's not running anymore can't keep up with his kids. <laughs> his little girls, he, could, he never had a prayer of keeping up with dad and leave them in their dust now. And so, you know, things change and they start to see that and they, they grieve and they mourn and they move through the, through the disease uh, alongside us. Yeah, I, it's interesting. So now we've talked about the diagnosis and the, the journey of acceptance. And I think part of accepting it is when you have those breakthrough moments, when you realize there are still things you can do, when okay. you realize you still have some control, when you stop fighting the disease and, and you you sort of embrace it and say, okay, yeah. let me leverage this, kind of like uh, Tai Chi, where you you know you 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 leverage the the disease to your benefit as opposed to you know attacking it or fighting it off. Sure. Uh, and and I felt that you know and I've started to. It's given me permission to do things that I've always wanted to do that I never made time for. Like I'm doing improv comedy. I always loved being on the stage and I haven't done it in 30 some years, but we're doing it. You know, so what are some of the things in your life that you've realized, oh, well, I can still do this or I can do this now or I I didn't even know this was possible. And like the, the some of the positives or the silver linings, maybe of Parkinson's that you've discovered. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Cheryl. Uh, one of the things that we have been very grateful for from almost the very beginning and when Tim had to leave his job so early, um, it was really hard at first, but now we're realizing that it's a, actually a blessing that we're, because he's still relatively healthy. I'm a self-employed and so I can kind of work around my own schedule and um, it's given us extra time during these good years for us to spend together uh, with our kids or grandkids and with each other and to have um, just opportunities to do things that we might not have until Tim retired if he didn't have Parkinson's. So we've always been very thankful for that aspect of it. Yeah, a job. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm I'm still working full time, probably about another three or four years. I'm the uh, director of an animal shelter, uh, a big nonprofit, and I think I've become the best leader I've ever been in my career because of this disease. Because the things that used to drive me crazy or I'd perseverate on forever, I let them go, 
I'm able to see the big picture. I'm like, you know, people are upset about something. I'm like, you know what? I've got Parkinson's. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> and that usually shuts them down pretty quickly. <laughs> but but honestly, I, I mean, I I think this disease, the 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 gift is seeing the big picture and and realizing how lucky I feel. I think a lot of us are. We you know we have time still from diagnosis. Um, there's a lot of great research, a lot of great treatments out there. And uh, I don't suffer fools anymore. So that's been a really positive thing. The one thing I had to give up was skiing. And uh, my husband and I we used to like to ski a lot together. And I just didn't feel safe on the slopes anymore. I couldn't turn anymore and I would fall a lot. And I thought, you know what, I can give that up. But the good side is now I just hang out in the lodge. He skis all day, I have a couple of cocktails. I can read my novel and I still have fun on the slopes. Uh, Tim. One of the things you you got to do the the opportunity to be on Amazing Race Canada after your diagnosis. Absolutely, that must have been amazing. <laughs> I, I continue to say that Parkinson's has given me far more than it's taken. I mean, uh, about a year into the diagnosis, we started talking about applying for the race. Second year into the diagnosis, we were planning to be on the race. It was on the race, won the race, and after that, it was just insane. Suddenly, you're in this whole different world, right? Traveling, everywhere speaking, traveling for fun, from winning stuff on the race, and it was just incredible. And from there, it's launched us into a whole unanticipated life of being able to be advocates on behalf of people with Parkinson's through PD Avengers, through U-Turn Parkinson's, and have met so many people and been able to do so many wonderful things that we would have never had the opportunity to do if I hadn't been diagnosed with Parkinson's. So, I mean, there really is a huge, for, for us, silver lining that would never have existed in our lives had we not come down with this disease. And so it really is a double-edged sword. It's, um, it's difficult to wield some days because some days you get down and depressed, and, and that's real, right? Those bad days are real. They're really real, and they're really bad some days. But there's also days that are so phenomenally good that uh, you get a little crazy some days trying to figure it out. What am I to? Am I happy or am I sad? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Barry. Yeah. I just wanted to say that um, I had a clue that something was really wrong when I was uh, in a uh, five and 10 K walk run and had to keep myself from tipping forward and face planting uh, about a half dozen times. And I couldn't get my balance at all. And at the end of the race, wouldn't you know what? I came through it unscathed, but then I tripped over a, uh, a curb and broke my two front teeth. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so I thought, gee, I think, I think this whole, Parkinson's thing, I think there's something to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my wife uh, was doing some research online and found out about a program for Parkinson's patients, um, uh, boxing, uh, because it helps pump blood into your brain uh, and it helps with coordination. And so I've been doing that for about the last eight or nine months, uh, once a week. And then I try to mimic uh, as much as I can uh, at, in our little home, our modest little home gym, uh, the same kinds of things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm working it. Uh, at the same time, the, the, that little voice inside of my head says, oh, you know, you're, this is all for naught. I mean, it's nice to, to, to be working out, but, and then the reality of, of it, you know, remembering face planting so fast that I, I had no time to react, actually feeling and hearing my teeth break. And I thought, uh, it, it just reminds me that this is a very real thing. I actually had a similar instance. Uh, I wasn't doing a 5K because when you look at me, I could never do a 5K. Uh, but I, I was uh, running towards the bus before it ran away. And I went to run and my left side went and my right side said, stop. <laughs> and I went <laughs> catapulting into the air and I fell face first oh, and man. scraped myself up. But the bus stopped and I was able to get on. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> this guy throwing himself in front of the bus somehow made it stop. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, this disease and, and, and dealing with this on a daily basis uh, can have emotional, physical, and mental health, you know, consequences. What has helped you and your partner deal with, you know, your your Parkinson's um, emotional, physical, mental health? I'll start with you, John. Um, and, and like, what's your care team look like? And, and who, who, who are you depending on the most these days? Yeah, you know, I talk a lot about my husband, which is a good thing. But I've got a really great supportive group of friends as well. And there was a period about a year ago where I was having a hard time moving and walking. And, um, and I was trying to run and I couldn't run anymore. And my good friend, Pete, who's a neighbor, he said, you know what, let's go for a walk. And it's turned into a daily three mile walk pretty much every single day, which has been great for me. Exercise helps a lot as well. So that's been really helpful. That's great. Yeah. Barry? Well, my support staff, uh, as it were, uh, is my wife and daughter. And I had posted on Facebook about a week after we told Lulu uh, about everything that was happening. And people have been especially kind, uh, even people who are Facebook friends that I don't really know. But, you know, I, I have not made an issue of it uh, since then, really, with people. And I, people are kind enough to, to call me up out of the blue and say, it's been a long time since we spoke. I wanted to tell you how I was thinking about you and wishing you the best. And that, you know, that's like gold. You, you know, you can't beat that. But I, uh, the things that I do to try to deal with it are, are nothing unusual. It's just being aware of the symptoms and trying not to let them interfere too much with my everyday life. And, you know, I'm a writer by trade and um, I pretty much just retired when I got the diagnosis because I wanted to write stuff that were, was important to me rather than editing somebody's book. Uh, so that's what I've been doing. And that's been kind of a, a saving grace for me too. That's great. Yeah. The creative outlet's important. Tim, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, much like John there, I've got a group of folks that I cycle with. Now I loved running for years and I just came to hate it because I couldn't do it. So I finally gave myself permission. Don't run, do something else. So I pulled up my bike, which I'd been on for years anyway. Uh, commuting to work and we started a little club we get together every saturday and we uh we ride year-round so now if you know winnipeg that's quite the statement to say that we ride in february but we do <laughs> and it's been just a great great uh, support group that keeps me active keeps me going and i noticed a huge difference when i'm exercising hard oh that's great uh, uh cheryl what do you do uh to to deal with the emotional physical mental toll that it has on a, a care partner I think one of the most important things is that I have also a group of friends that um, Tim and I both, I have my own, you know, girlfriends, but we have also have some really good friends that have walked through the, our entire journey of Parkinson's and have been there for us and just hold us accountable and um, check in on us and um, let us know, you know, that they're there for us, which is so important. And, and I also, I work, I, I love my work and, um, I take time to get out away from Parkinson's, if you will. Um, and I know that sometimes it's hard for Tim to see me go, but he knows that I'm a better person when I come back. So <laughs> he is all for it. She's never gone that long. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows I'll always come back. <laughs> I think one of the, you know, we mentioned the kids earlier in their growth. Uh, one of the things that we have both really enjoyed is that they have become our champions. Like yeah. they, they're our cheerleaders. Like they have just really... Um, cheered us on. They encouraged him and his exercise and 
um, both of us actually, and they check in on us to see how we're doing. And it's just um, been a real blessing to see how that has pulled our family together in that way. Has faith played a role in your dealing with Parkinson's? I'll start with the, uh, Tim and Cheryl. Absolutely. Uh, you know it has. Yeah. We, um, we both have grown up with, with fathers who were pastors. But beyond that, uh, as adults, made a decision uh, regarding our faith. And it's just continued to be a very real, deep, and abiding uh, part of our lives that provides security, stability, a sense of uh, belonging, and a sense of where we're going with this. And ultimately, for me, I, I've always wanted a bit of an out. I, I don't have to feel like I have to be in control of this. I feel like I've got somebody who's bigger than me, smarter than me, that's got my back, and that I can I can rest in that when I let myself. Good. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I mean, very much the same. Um, the one thing is that I feel like God's not just a big person in the sky. For for me, he's he's a, a friend, a, a father that I can go to. And he handles, he can handle my pain and my frustration and my anger, um, all my questions. And it's just a constant comfort and encouragement to me when those dark days do come. Yeah, the dark nights of the soul. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, John, how about you? You know, I I don't identify as a person of faith, but I have faith in people. And uh, I'd say 99% of the people I've met are fantastic. I have faith in science. I have faith in research. I have faith in the future. And uh, and that's been a beautiful thing. And that gives me hope. Yeah, hope, hope is actually one of those things that once you can see it and you can, it, 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 you start seeing it everywhere. Like, uh, and whether it's in science or whether it's in people or whether it's, you know, hey, my pharmacist knows me by my first name. Not everybody can say that. You know? <laughs> right. You know, Larry, a lot of my friends would send me things they would see online clips about people riding bikes with Parkinson's or some, some a miracle cure. And they thought, have you seen this? That used to drive me crazy at first. And I thought, you know what? Good for them. They're thinking about me. And you know what? Yeah. So so what if it doesn't work? The fact is they're reaching out and they're trying to help. And I, I made an attitude adjustment around that. And I, not that I want tons of posts sent to me, by the way, but <laughs> 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 I want to clarify that. But, it, but it's sweet. Barry, what, where do you find hope and faith? Uh, John, ditto. I don't have conventional faith. I put my faith in people because I don't, I can't think of any better place than than other people and and how they they treat other people and how they want to be treated themselves and i try to be as respectful as i can sometimes i, I slip a little but to me it's all internal it's i mean I, the little voice that i hear in my head to me that's god because there's somebody in there trying to tell me what's the right thing to do here and the right thing to do as far as parkinson's uh is to uh not give up hope and try new things uh, like the boxing I tried and and be open to the meds because I'm not on meds yet, but I know sooner or later I will be. And I've been warned about them. You know, they have side effects. You're on them the rest of your life. You need progressively larger doses. Uh, that worries me. But you know something, uh, suffering badly from Parkinson's worries me more. Yeah. And you know what, Barry, I'll give you the counterpoint to that. I was in the same boat when I started. I didn't take meds for three years. And when I looked back, when I look back on it now, I, for me, I want to kick myself a little bit because I think I lost quality of life that I could have had. Now that's not to say that that would be the same for you, 
I just want to throw the other side of the argument out there. When the Levodopa works, it rocks. <laughs> First, I'll answer that question. I'll talk about the, the medicine in a minute. But I do want to, I'm kind of in between all of you. I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. Uh, and so I have a meditation practice. And I, I, I like to believe that we're all connected. And so that, you know, with with the, with the proper intentions, you can you can manifest what you want in your life. And uh, so I do a lot of reading and or listening to books. And, uh, and I, I feel that it's made me Parkinson's has made me more conscious of who I am and how I treat people. Um, I feel I've become a better person, just in a better leader. I'm the national director of talk radio for a company in Canada. And I feel like I'm just I, I'm at a better place in my life, mentally, physically, uh, emotionally. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with just working through these issues with my wife and and our friends and, and, and the support I get from everybody. But but just knowing that I'm not alone. I think that's that's key. And then seeing everybody, you know, hope I, I talk about how hope is is the binder of everybody that has anything to do with Parkinson's. The reason the Michael J. Fox Foundation exists is because there's hope that there's a cure out there. The reason that there are people that go into medicine to to be near, you know a movement disorder specialist is because they have hope that they can make our lives better. You know, all these people that are dealing with Parkinson's, whether they're you know home health care or their therapists they all have hope that they can help us and and you have to have hope in order to allow them to help you that's kind of how i see it mm-hmm. yeah um as far as medications concerned i never i was never on a regular medication before my diagnosis i did not like doctors uh, I've avoided them at all costs. Uh, I now have a really strong relationship with uh, all of my doctors and therapists of many different persuasions, uh, and I enjoy them. And I tell you what, I am an advocate of pharmaceuticals because without them, I would be I'd be a lump on the floor. I I, I take uh, twenty four pills a day just to be able to continue to do what I do. Some of it's levodopa, some of it's helping me with sleep, and some of it's helping me with depression. And, and it's, everybody's on their own uh, as far as what they should be using. But it's taking me five years to get to the point where I feel like I'm finally balanced, where, I'm, where I have consistently good days. Uh, and I have bad moments, but good days. Um, and uh, like Barry, like I, I know when I was first diagnosed before I was on the medication, I could barely use my right hand to type and I could barely write my name or take notes. And the levodopa changed that overnight. Um, And so just because you've lost function of something doesn't mean you've lost it forever. The levodopa will bring back some of that and exercise can help bring stuff back as well. Yeah. All right. So what do you wish you knew from day one about this disease? Like you look back on your journey so far, uh, would you do anything different knowing what you know or would you encourage somebody to do something different if they just get diagnosed? Start with you, John. Um, I don't think I would do anything different. But what I would say is be kind to yourself. Just give yourself a hug. And um, <laughs> you're going to have good days and bad days. And it's not going to play out like a TV movie of the week. Um, there's not going to be an end credits where everybody's happy and it's all solved. It's, it's a journey. And uh, just be patient with yourself and give, your, give yourself a lot of time to grieve and to um, have bad days and have good days and, and not, you know, and if you want to 
blame somebody, blame somebody and then get over yourself, right? It's just a journey. I don't know how else to say it. How about you, Tim? What do you wish you knew then that you know now? I struggle with this question for a number of reasons, but um, actually, yeah, I wish that I had known, as, as a nurse, I like to know where I'm going. I like to know what's, if I, if you come and tell me I have cancer, I want to know everything about it. So Parkinson's, I want to know everything about it. I wish I'd have dug a little deeper and that somebody would have sent me down and said, you know what, there's 40 different symptoms that can come with this thing. Here are the things that could happen to you. And to, to have had that information so that for me, I could go dig into that because I hate surprises. I hate surprises. I don't want to go down the road and, act and hit a, a, a pothole, not see it coming. I want to know that that pothole is a potential so that I can be aware of it and watch for it. And that gives me peace. What takes my peace away is not knowing. So I wish I had just known more from the get-go. And then from a personal side, I wish I had kept running more, cycling more. Exercise is the next best thing we can do for ourselves. And I wish I had been even more active than what I was. And I was, I've always been very active, but I, I find now that when I let, if I let a day or two slip of activity, I feel it in every way. And uh, I, I just wish I had kept it going harder from the get-go. Cheryl? Um, I wish I had read up a little bit more about it as well. And I wish that there had been some support or some information about dealing with kids because we were in the middle of raising our, you know, our teenagers and um, there were some difficult days. And I think that it would have helped to have known the symptoms that were going to come. And also the things like we had seen some things already for years that we didn't even realize that's part of Parkinson's. Um, and that would have been helpful to have known that I think in, in dealing and, you know, working with our kids in, in this whole process. How about you, Barry? Well, I guess I wish that I would have listened to my body more carefully because the clues in retrospect were all there, but I didn't recognize them at all. Uh, I remember at least five or six years ago, walking through a, a shopping mall and my feet were barely lifting off the ground as I walked and I was shuffling like crazy. And I kept thinking, why is this happening? And I just thought, eh, it's a fluke. I'm having a bad day. I don't know. It's, maybe the gravity has been stronger today. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, but I knew that I had very minor tremors several years ago that I ignored. I thought, oh, well, it's just the price you pay for getting older. There were all kinds of little gimmies that I should have done something. But I you know, nothing seemed so terrible that I couldn't live with. And that's what was going through my head is, okay, so my thumb shakes a little bit. So what? All these things added together, uh, you know, it's like Cheryl just said, there's a million symptoms. And I, I realized when I read the, the list of, of them, there's nine of them right in a row that I have. And that's when I knew, you know, this thing has got to be real. And this couldn't just be happenstance. So I wish I would have listened to my my con own internal concerns better. Yeah, that that's that's good advice. Yeah, I, I was the same way. You know, hey, oh, I've never been forty before. Maybe that's what this is all about. I'm just getting old. Um, I I think the one thing that I wish I would have known was that when they put me on the levodopa and the, they put me at the lowest possible dosage, and every time I visited, they'd give me more and more and more, and I thought my Parkinson's was getting worse. When in fact, they were just slowly bringing up the medication so they could get it to where it needed to be. 
And um, I really, I was like, oh, I feel horrible. Like every time I go, they're giving me more and more medication. I must be a bad case of Parkinson's because they say it's slow moving. And it, it, that was all in my mind. Uh, and so I, I just wish I would have known that was the, the course of action that was going on at the time. Um, and maybe that'll help somebody else. Uh, there, here are six tips for uh, your first year with Parkinson's. Uh, we'll go through these quickly and then we'll wrap up the show. See a Parkinson's specialist. Go to a movement disorder specialist. It's uh, really important. It's a neurologist with additional training of Parkinson's. They're best positioned to give a second opinion on your diagnosis and care and really develop an individual plan for, for you. Learn about Parkinson's. We've talked about this a lot. You know, Knowing the facts about the disease can help you really understand it and make informed decisions about your care. It could also make you realize that, if, especially if you're a care partner, that uh, the the mood swings are are not uh, personal. It's it's the disease. <laughs> I know I I got a quicker temper, and you know it's uh, it wasn't expected. And we're like, oh, is that part of the disease? Build a support system. Know that you're not alone. Uh, some people find support by talking with a loved one. Many find it helpful to connect with others through support groups. Uh, online forums, uh, the Parkinson's Buddy Network. Uh, there's classes. There's there's all sorts of things. So build a support team. Eat a healthy, balanced diet. I just recently changed my diet. We've cut out you know most red meat and fatty red meats, and we're eating a lot more vegetarian. And I tell you, I, I'm a that's part of the reason why I feel so good. Uh, it's it's really it's there's no one specific diet you should do uh, for Parkinson's, but uh, Nutritious diet that's high in fruits and vegetables and whole unprocessed foods is good for your body and your brain. You can talk to your doctor about what's good for you. As Tim said, exercise regularly. Exercise can lessen movement and non-movement symptoms such as depression and anxiety, which are common in Parkinson's, and in increase around the time of diagnosis. Any type of exercise is beneficial, so find something you enjoy and do it regularly. The last month and a half, I've been cleaning out my garage and I've been sweating and I've been working and going up and down stairs. And that's been my exercise. It doesn't have to be a, a full blown uh, aerobic uh, workout. It can, right. you know, whatever, whatever makes you sweat and get your heartbeat up. That's, that's, right. that's your exercise. And then join a research study. Uh, taking an active role in research can be a way to take control when you feel like much of control is out of your hands. Uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation's PPMI study needs volunteers who are recently diagnosed and not yet taking medication. Uh, travel costs are covered for participants and a loved one. Call 877-525-PPMI, 877-525-PPMI, or email uh, joinppmi at michaeljfox.org to connect with the team. So those are six things you can do in your first year. I hope that helps. I want to thank uh, John and Barry and Tim and Cheryl. You guys have been great. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Uh, do you have? Do you get one uh, one sentence uh, to for the final goodbye? Uh, one piece of advice you'd give people as you're as you're uh, as we're saying goodbye. Uh, let's start with Barry. Listen to that inner voice. It's telling the truth. It doesn't lie. John. Uh, you, you nailed it. Have a good uh, partnership with your physician, uh, movement disorder specialist. If it's not working, let them know, communicate, 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 um, because they have a tons of tools and they will make it better for you. Cheryl? Um, embrace the good that um, can be found in this stage in your life, because there are things that um, can be a positive thing in your life. 
Tim? And stay active. Uh, that's my mantra. Stay active uh, in every way. Keep your mind active. Keep your body active. Look after yourself and make this all about you. Make sure you take care. And laugh. Find a way to laugh because there's <laughs> there's some situations you can cry at or you can laugh at or both. But I laugh a lot. We laugh a lot in this house. And, uh, you know, it's what are you going to do? It's just this is our life. So <laughs> I'd rather laugh. It's 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 you know, makes me feel more, more positive. If, not, if, if I could make people laugh with my Parkinson's even better. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and buy lots of extra dishes because you're going to eat them. Larry, uh, I just say something really quick. Sure, yeah, go um, ahead. I mean, participating in groups like this is amazing. I just been with Tim and Cheryl and Barry has been very inspiring for me personally. We feel the same. And Tim and Cheryl, I told my husband, you guys did the Amazing Race. He's like, we should audition for the Amazing Race. So I'm yeah, like, absolutely. no. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Uh, I, I will encourage people uh, to participate in research. It is a great way to feel empowered and make a difference. Uh, so again, the PPMI study, you can learn more online, michaeljfox.org slash podcast dash newly diagnosed. Uh, and it's uh, we've got a lot of links there in the notes. Okay. On behalf of all my guests and the hardworking people at the Michael J. Fox Foundation who are here until Parkinson's isn't, I'm Larry Gifford. I'll talk to you next time. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.